What's up, everybody? Paul Hickey here with NoOffSeason.com. Welcome to the, another episode of the F1 Card Strategy Show. We haven't done this show in a while, and I've got a special guest host today from Bob'sCardMarket.com. This is Rob Masora. He joined Kendall and I on the flagship show, the, F, the uh, Sports Card Strategy Show, earlier this week, and we figured we would double down with Rob. How you doing, man? <laughs> so putting me to work in this first week. Yeah, here you come and you want a partner and sponsor and I'm putting you work. <laughs> yeah. It's actually because when we first met, you uh you and I were talking about F1 a little bit and it's mm -hmm. cuz I kind of asked you like what uh sport you were most into and I think you said F1. F1 was in your answer. So I said, "All right, well, I, let's yeah. We haven't done an F1 card strategy show in a while and the audience wants more and more F1 content, so I said, "Let's do one." So here we are. Yeah, that's definitely uh, my response to you is probably some recency bias there. Um, not saying that I'm not into F1, but I think it's probably important for your audience to to know, um, I guess, my F1 history, if you, if you don't mind. So I, oh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I've been into sports cards for a while now and, and been buying and selling sports cards and um, really just load up to mid-end stuff and... Um, back when 2020 chrome f1 came out i mean obviously that was a huge thing and just was going gangbusters and um oh i had a lot of people in the car community being like oh you got to get into f1 you got to do this you got to do that and a lot of them were just saying just watch the show on netflix just do that and yeah. you'll enjoy that and then it'll go from there and so i'm like all right so i started watching an episode and i don't know about you but uh, my wife and I are always struggling to find things to watch because there's so many things out there and started watching one episode and sooner or later, my wife's like, I like this. And so we just powered our way through the rest of the seasons and finished up at the beginning of last year and we're hooked, completely yeah. hooked. We watched like every race last year, uh, every Saturday and Sunday, watch qualifying in the race. And so that's kind of melding with the card world now as I'm starting to get a little bit more into F1 cards. but. That's awesome. You got, that's what I love about sports. It's a sports in, in addition to, you know, obviously the athletes and the performances, it's really a soap opera and like F1, no, no one has exemplified that better recently than uh, Netflix with drive to survive and F1 yeah. and um, you know, the media group that, that bought F1 uh, and has wor worked with Netflix on that. Um, basically like, the NFL is a soap opera. The NBA is a soap opera. Opera. That's why I mean. That's why there's massive interest in those sports uh, domestically and uh, F1 globally now, and more more so in the United States now because of Drive to Survive. So I love that. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, I definitely kind of entered the same way. Like I entered F1 cards in a similar fashion. I. Uh, you know, listening to Card Talk, uh, Card Talk Pod, I got to give those guys a shout out. Uh, Lou, Tyler, and Ryan, they do a good job. And and they got into F1, I think, probably as early as anybody in the recent card market. And so listening to their show, knowing those guys a little bit, and watching Drive to Survive, kind of hearing about it through them and how that helped them enter into the F1 card world um, became an entry point for me, but then what really sparked my interest in it is how simple it is. So mm -hmm. for somebody who doesn't know soccer, it's super hard to get into soccer. Like it's very, very complicated. Mm -hmm. 
for somebody who doesn't know baseball, it's kind of the same thing. But for anybody who doesn't know F1, and if you followed any of the other sports, I think it's actually much simpler to get into card investing in F1 because there's only 10 teams, 20 drivers. Mm-hmm. Um, drivers move around a lot from season to season. But other than that, there's not like transactions all the time. Like there are in other sports that you have to follow. So um, yeah, I think it's it's simple. And I like to... Well, it's simple compared to other sports, and I like to to get into it from a card prospecting perspective as well because, as you know, 2022 Topps Chrome just came out, and so it's the third year of Topps Chrome F1, and within the Topps Chrome and, of course, Topps flagship, there are prospect cards. So... Um, that's a good segue into one of the one of the topics I wanted to talk to about talk to you guys about on today's show is uh, some of the things that have caught my eye in this set. One of them we talked about on the sports card strategy show with Kendall, but Logan Sargent has his first like investable cards. So he's racing for Williams this year, but his cards are F2 prospect cards essentially but they're his first autos and they're part of the uh, 2022 tops Chrome F1 release. And another guy who didn't really have any investable cards. And I actually bought this one. Uh, oh, fit a Paldi. Um, if I was going to bring him up, you recognize the last name fit a Paldi. I actually bought this out of 50 gold refractor auto um, for what I think is a pretty good price, $103.50, 17 bids on this card. Um, you can't really ever tell what's going to gem when you buy something on eBay, but looking at this photo, uh, the photos that are in this listing, and I haven't received the card yet, but I'm thinking I'm, I'm going to submit it to PSA. So you've got like these, these first autos of these guys, Sargent, Fittipaldi. Um, Fittipaldi's still in F2. But for those of you that are familiar with baseball cards, to me, these are like the Bowman first autos of these guys. The only difference being that they actually get released in the same set, in the same release as the F1 card uh, cards as well. So uh, what do you think, Rob? What do you think of this 2022 Topps Chrome release so far? Have you been following it at all? It, well, it's funna that you brought him up because I had actually had him, his name written down as um, maybe someone to target a little bit, but it's it's you're exactly right in comparing it to Bowman Bowman prospects and first Bowman prospects. And the funny thing that's comparable to that is the price at which these cards of drivers that have never raced F1, they're just maybes, you know, they're racing F2. They might, they might not even make an F1 team, um, just like the minor league play- baseball players, but their prices on are just go way too high, in my opinion, um, for something that they have not done. Like they could make it to an F1 team and be in one race and just be nothing. Yeah. Um, and I always, Absolutely. you know, it's a frustrating part of the, the Bowman prospecting um, part of collecting, but it's very entertaining and it's very fun and it's, it's a big gamble for sure. Um, but like you were saying earlier, I think in F1, it's probably less of a gamble than in baseball because baseball, you have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of players that they're competing with where 
in, in racing, it's, you know, you got 20 F1 drivers and I, I don't, I'm not that familiar with F2, but I assume there's probably 20 to 30 F2 drivers, same with F3 and F4. Um, so the pool is a lot smaller. So the odds of actually getting it right are a lot higher. Yeah. And, uh, shout out to uh, lefty McKee. He's in the chat. So Kendall, <laughs> good to see you. Uh, good to see you <laughs> driving. Um, looking up F2, just cause I want to try to get this right. Yeah. It looks like there are, uh, if I'm counting correctly, um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight, nine, ten, eleven teams, and uh, two drivers per team in F two right now. F three, um, there are no cards for F three, so but we do know a lot of uh, F three drivers move up to F two. F two drivers, like to your point, Rob, don't always move up to F one, but um, just the prospect that they may move up to F one. So, like for those of you who don't know Enzo Fittipaldi, who I just mentioned and Rob kind of agrees with me, is so his grandfather was Emerson Fittipaldi, um, who was a uh, F1 driver and was very successful into the late 80s, early 90s. Sorry, IndyCar driver. He retired in, in, from IndyCar in 96. So not uh, he was an F, F2, F1 IndyCar. So he's a Emerson legend, is, and that name definitely uh, is going to be a name where if Enzo... So Enzo is like the third-ranked driver in... Well, not third-ranked, but he's kind of top five in F2. So he, the fact that he has this card and it's his first card, I'm just kind of going on, hey, the name. Um, if, the great, if I can get a PSA 10 on it, and whatever hype there is about this guy, that's probably what I'm going to sell to your point, Rob, like I'm not necessarily going to mm-hmm. wait to see if he's any good or even makes right. it to F1. Yeah. It's just like in baseball, you want to sell right when they get called up, you don't want to yep. wait or maybe they're in triple a and they're hitting bombs and playing awesome. That's, that's when you want to sell. But uh, Emerson Fittipaldi is number 30 um, all time in points um, in case you're wondering in, uh, Enzo was eighth place last year in the F2 standings. Gotcha. So okay. not, not a great year, um, but he's up there. Yep. Yeah. So you're right. You're absolutely right. Sell on the call up. So, so that, you know, the question there for this year is does Oscar Piastri do anything? I bought a bunch of his cards last year. I still have all of the ones that I bought. I have not sold on him yet. Uh, there was a little bit of a hype, a little bit of hype in August, you know, when he finally joined McLaren, there was that whole controversy. I thought that might be a good time to sell depending on what you, what you bought him for. But when I did, when I looked at my research even further, like he, he came out so high, his prices were so high for his mm-hmm. 2021 tops Chrome autos. Cause that was his first, first cards. Um, there aren't many Oscar Piastri cards. I think there might be one card and it's not an auto in the 2022 set. So we're kind of, we have this Oscar Piastri 2021 group of cards um, that I think I will probably look to list for sale just right at the beginning of this F1 season, because I know and uh, interested to see what, what the audience thinks of this, especially Kendall, who's in the audience right now. But um, I think Oscar will be good, but I don't know if I want to ride the roller coaster of, you know, him not 
not po- not getting in the podium for like his whole first yeah. year or something and then having his cards until he you know finally starts to win maybe in like who knows when right that could be a long it took george russell a long time to win a race so it could be the same for oscar and so what i'm thinking is sell oscar on the hype of just the season starting but what do you what do you think of that strategy overall yeah i i i think you can list it now um, and the reason being is I actually just sold uh, one of his cards. And I mentioned I've started to dabble in F1 uh, flipping a little bit. Um, but I w- bought his purple um, purple refractor PSA 10 for 120 at the beginning of December. And we just sold it for 300. Great move. So, Great move. Um, I just typically that's what I do is we just list it for double whatever and then slowly lower the price as, as time goes on. But um, but yeah, I'm looking at market movers even, and over the last 90 days, his price has dropped the most of any F1 driver, 51%. Um, so, but I think that's, I mean, 90 days ago there wasn't a lot of hype, right? But I think exactly. as the season's starting to starting to gear up, um, the thing I'm worried about with him is specifically to McLaren. Like I'm, they're my team. Um, I don't know if you can even see this logo, but this is my Christmas present for my nice. wife. Um, yeah, looking good. Um, is there's something with the team, and I don't know what it is, and just kind of seeing some news articles here and there, but there's something with the way they run things that Daniel Ricardo didn't get along with, mm-hmm. and that's that's why he exited, or part of the re- I think he cut his contract short, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Lando's figured it out, and he knows – um, he's kind of meshing well with the team, but I'm, I'm worried that there could be some growing pains with Oscar, um, just cause of that. And, yeah. and maybe he'll fit, maybe he'll fit right in. We'll see. But I mean, it's, it, it could, he could be like Cam Newton where like Cam came in and just like caught lightning in a bottle and was amazing in his first mm-hmm. season. And, you know, other rookies have kind of done that. Of course, I just, Cam Newton just kind of came to mind because I don't think anybody expected him to do it. I don't expect Oscar to be like a stud this year. I, but I talked him up all last year and uh, told people to execute on exactly what you did. So I've been saying like all the way through December buy Oscar and then flip him just right in Q1 at the beginning of the hype mm-hmm. when the hype cycle starts for F1. So you might be a little bit early selling now, but I agree with you. Like you could probably list it now, especially in a buy it now format. If you're listing it for the price that you really want and then taking offers, that's a great call. Adam Adamson. Welcome to the show. Uh, new name on the show. Glad to have you, Adam. He says it's hard. Uh, it's hard even in McLaren. Um, he's good, but he's against Lando uh, and Lando's car and team. So that's that's true i mean like i think if you're if you in f1 we do have to consider there are f1 collectors and fans of a particular team uh constructor mm-hmm. uh if you will and so then if you are investing in one driver for that team uh are you really going to invest in the other especially when the other one might be like the number two driver like in oscar's case so um this is actually a good a good segue too. So like uh Rob, I know you kind of wanted to talk about uh people collecting F1, like how people collect F1 mm. and what are causes of some of the market swings. So we're on kind of that topic right both of those topics right now a little bit. What what were you thinking in terms of like what you what you wanted to bring to the show to talk about how people collect F1? 
Yeah. And, and really, I, I was just curious about that thinking through, like, as we think of other sports, like, you know, the three major sports, it's most of the time it's centered around a team. It's where you live or where maybe you grew up. And, you know, I'm a Cubs fan cause I grew up in Chicago. Um, but it's weird with F1 because you have these teams, 10 teams that have two drivers each, but then the drivers also, unless you're really good or have a really good relationship, they switch around a lot. I mean, I, you can, you can make the comparison to getting traded on a, on a pro sports team, but um, it's almost like, I, I'm just curious what you think more people collect the constructor or they collect the driver. And, um, and then yeah, when you great point, and when you talk about, and, and maybe, I mean, maybe you have some experience how it's, it could be different here in the United States versus how they maybe collect in, in Europe. Cause I, I, for me personally, I think a lot of the, a lot of the um, teams are based in Europe, if I'm not mistaken. So I feel like in that, that area, they might be more focused on collecting the constructor. Whereas here in the United States, maybe we're like, we're just going to collect the the driver and see what happens. Like we don't, we're not really partial to, to any team. So I was just curious. Yeah. yeah that's a good point. I've never really thought about that, but I think you're right. Um, it is, that is a big difference between other sports. And we do talk a lot about how when a player gets traded that now there's a new market for him because of that local market mm-hmm. that he's going to. And F1 is different in that regard. Um, there's really not a clear cut way to tell who collects what. Um, I'd like to know what the audience thinks. So drop us a line in the comments uh, or hit us up on social media. I'm at no offseason card. If you want to tweet at me about uh, how you collect F1, I'd like to have a good feedback loop there and then report back on the show. Um, as far as Europe and the United States go, what's interesting about that is I like your hypothesis, but unfortunately there's no distribution in Europe for, for those cards. So mm. um, even I know, I mean, especially in Spain, but even the guys that I know from the UK and go into the London card show this past year, um, I learned that basically all of those vendors at the London card show that were set up to sell, get all of their, most of their cards um, through breaks. So even like, all of their NBA, NFL, and F1 cards, um, anything that's like soccer related, um, some some they can get uh, through better distribution in Europe, but like mostly everything they get that American collectors are interested in, they get through through Americans via mm-hmm. breaks, which is like, I don't think it's, I'm not against breakers or breaking by any means, but I don't think it's the most efficient way to flip cards if you're going to like get in breaks no. and then try you know like that doesn't yeah. that that's not it's like a worst strategy. way so <laughs> it's, it's yeah it's really hard so um so it's it's not I, you know i think we all hope that fanatics sort of fixes that when they really take over things um they obviously already own the they own top so they already own that mm-hmm. license but so maybe sooner rather than later they can fix the f1 distribution thing they might i know we have actually quite quite a larger following in in the uk and in europe um than some other podcasts so if those of you are listening uh want to drop us a line in the comments let us know like if they have sort of if you have access to at at uh, retail or 
um, just better online distribution for you to cut down on the shipping cost. Um, let us know. We'd love to know about that. So, um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's a lot of that. A lot of those things, like you got, you got the, the racing fans and though, to me, those fans are probably the ones that are going to cheer for a constructor. They're going to, I'm a Ferrari guy or I'm a McLaren guy. Like they love those cars their whole life. Like they're into that. Um, and then like Adam Adamson said in the chat, like since drive to survive came out, it's, it's built these personalities, good or bad. Some of the drivers hate it of, uh, of the drivers and people have become fans because of the show and whether they're likable or not, like my wife hates Max Verstappen because of the show. And I think he's gotten a lot better and, and um, a better personality. And he's not just a jerk all the time, but the show did paint him in a bad spot. Um, so she doesn't like him. But the, and, you know, that could drive some people to, to like certain drivers. And then I think another um, piece of this is where they're from. And a lot of people want to cheer for their, their home country. Like um, uh, Fittipaldi is from Brazil. And I don't think we don't have a Brazilian driver, I don't think, yet or now. So if he were to get into F1, that's the whole country that's behind him. We got Logan Sargent, who's the first American driver since I think 2015, I read. Um, okay. Something like that. So like that, that combined with drivers from to survive will hopefully um and then we got the las vegas race this year so an additional race here um should give a huge boost to the fandom and the interest in america and the united states um to f1 but there's the whole country part of it too like yeah um, i think you're absolutely right about the country part yeah um and i like that f1 is is international i think if we could get we get better distribution internationally of the F1 cards. <laughs> and, you know, there's this, the whole logistics with shipping costs and everything like, every, you know, card investors and collectors don't like when things eat into their potential profit margin. So the shipping is weird, but uh, yeah, not to get on too much of a tangent there, but you bring up some really good points with the collecting. Mm -hmm. And I'd love to, I'd love to know more about, I think that definitely like Adam in the chat makes a good point about favorites from drive to survive. Rob, you've made a lot of good points about, countries and constructors kind of like latching on to uh, whether it's someone from, from your home country or your hometown, or there's a team uh, with a connection to a country. Uh, it's, it's all of that, which is different than, than uh, NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB, um, which is cool. So I wanted to ask you about uh, the other topic that I know you wanted to talk about is uh, some of the causes of the market swings, right? So like, you know, Charles Leclerc last year, he was, he, his prices spiked huge when he got off to his hot start. So we know that performance definitely plays a role, but do you think it plays a role in F1 as much as it plays a role in other sports? What do you, what do you think kind of causes the market swings in F1? that's why I wanted to bring it up. I wanted to kind of talk through it. <laughs> yeah. Um, cause I was looking at, I was, I was looking at, um, kind of the price movements and looking at who won the races and then trying to, trying to match it up a little bit. And there wasn't, I, I did see the Charles Leclerc, um, spike. And I think the reason there was a spike was because it was the beginning of the year when kind of everyone is in first place. Everyone has a chance to win the championship at the end of the year. And so when you went, get off to a good start, you know, you're in a good spot and you can, you still have a chance, right? 
And so he wanted, I, I don't know how many races he won in the beginning of the year, but um, everyone thought like, oh, he's going to win the championship. Yeah, he's going to win the championship. So I'm yeah. gonna, I'm that that drove drove the spike, and then Max ends up winning like every race after yeah. that. Um, so I could I could foresee that happening again at the beginning of the year until things will start to level out. I think a a, a win towards the back half of the year doesn't really do much. I looked at George Russell who won the last race, I believe, mm-hmm. um, and there wasn't there wasn't a spike like it was the last race like there were a lot of there was a weird race it was an awesome race but um there wasn't a spike there um and then some of the other ones that won like towards the back half i think it's the races at the beginning are a big factor because of the championship but once max starts winning 10 15 it's (laughs) it's lost cause for everyone else yeah i think it is i think it is a mix between the the seasonality of where we are in the in the f1 calendar like you said and also like how much do the races mean towards the end of the year so like i think to a certain extent we're all new to this where like Mm -hmm. in my mind this is probably like we're going into our third season of trying to figure this out because you know you had the lewis and max sort of controversy towards the end of 2021 where max beat him out but like that was right after 2020 tops chrome released so that was kind of like year one last year was year two right and this but the weird thing about last year was that there was no drama towards the end to your point like max already had it wrapped up george's first win didn't really mean anything because it was like max already had it wrapped up so not that many people were paying attention to me, that was a huge F1 buying window, like we talked about earlier in the show, where I think that, I mean, I was telling everybody to buy Lando. I was pointing out data from market movers. You mentioned market movers earlier. I was pointing out data from market movers about George, Lando, Charles, even Max and Lewis. Like they were all down. Their specific PSA 10s. Some of them, depending on the driver, were like a, a Sapphire or a purple refractor mm-hmm. or whatever. But a lot of their PSA 10s were down uh, like 50, 60, 70% from where they were earlier in the season, like to your point. So I think that you're right. I think number one, huge hype cycle at the beginning of the season. Prices naturally drop after that. And then depending on how dramatic and meaningful the end of the season is, Mm -hmm. there may or may not be another spike. But they're yet don't appear to be like just race specific spikes based on driver performance. You know what I mean? Cause even yeah. George last year, I think he was in the top five for like the first 10 or 11 races, but it didn't really matter to his pricing. It didn't really have an effect on his pricing. I think, I think when you're looking at the results, it's like George or Lando, even last year, like I would look at for drivers that were always like right there. Like they always had a chance. They were always in the, in, you know, the top five or six, like we always joke that Lando's always in seventh place, like no matter what, like qualifying seventh place, right? He's, seventh place. he's always over right. seven. Like, um, but he's always, you know, he has a chance if things break his way to, to win a race. So if you look at last year's results and see those guys that are in the, the top hunt and then probably have low prices because they're not winning, they're not, getting a championship um but they could have a shot this year and i think the news um and when i say news like contract decisions drives a big piece especially when we go back to the prospecting part of it is 
you know, there, I was looking at like some contracts that are up this year, like uh, Yuki Sonoto, um, Gasly, Lance Stroll. Like, so they're driving with the intent of trying to get signed again, but then mid season, which is kind of weird how F1 does it. Like yeah. they could tell Lance Stroll, well, I know his dad owns the team, so he might do that, do that to him, but they could tell Pierre Gasly like, Hey, we're not re-signing you. Yeah. So now they have an open spot and all of a sudden your guy Fittipaldi is looking pretty good um, as maybe an option to, to backfill. So I think the news, and, and we don't know, like that could come out of nowhere. Like you can't predict when that's going to happen, but I think contracts are a lot, something you can look at to maybe make some, make some calls. Yeah, that's a great call. Um, that's, we're kind of digging into off the track type news and anticipating the hype, anticipating the upcoming hype cycle and then acquiring the card and being set up to sell. So you've got the card treasury store on eBay, right? So everybody mm-hmm. should go check that out. Uh, of course, you also run uh, bobscardmarket.com, the Discord channel, but uh, so we want people to check that out too. But in terms, let's talk about like being set up to sell because I think when you go, whatever hype cycle you're looking to crystallize your profits through, whether it's the beginning of the F1 season or the driver performance idea, or to your point, the off the track news cycle with uh, driver contracts and who, who might fill somebody's seat. Great ideas. But doesn't that mean that you need to have your hypothesis a little bit early, not only acquire the card, get it ready to sell, but then be set up to sell either on eBay or some other kind of marketplace. So because you run your own eBay store, that's very successful. Maybe talk us through like, what are some of the, what are some of the best ways that that people can do that? I mean, your Oscar Piastri flip is a good example. Yeah. The the way we do it is, um, and it might not be the best way, but it, might be the most efficient way is when we purchase something that's a true investment and something that we want to hold on to for a bit and sell, you know, later down the road, we're not looking to as a quick flip or anything like that. Um, our target is to try to double our money. And I know that's a pretty ambitious target in most cases. Um, so we'll price the card at that point And, in some instances, if you're looking at all the cards on eBay, it's going to look pretty outrageous and pretty high. And, you know, there is the risk like, oh, the card church, has got their prices just ridiculously high. Like these guys are idiots. Um, <laughs> but the, the, the reward is that someone actually buys it at that price, like the Oscar Piastri, for example. Um, and then we have a process put in place where we lower our prices every four months by 10%. And then eventually it'll get to where the market is. Now, having it already up there saves us a lot of time so that say the first race of the year, I still have that Piastri up there and he wins there. I would probably maybe lower it to where the market is to sell it. If that makes sense. So mm-hmm. I, it's already up there. I just have to change the price. Um, and it saves us a lot of time. I'm not digging through boxes to try to find it and then to list it. Like it's, um, I know that's may seem, you know, minute when you're saving 10 minutes or whatever, but you know, when you have thousands and thousands of cards, you're trying to save as much time as you can. Yeah, absolutely. So do you ever, do, do you ever find yourself like taking the, which I wish eBay could allow you to change your buy it now to an auction, 
Um, but do you ever find, do you ever find yourself like taking down the buy it now, but then listing the same card as an auction? If it doesn't um, sell. No, we, I mean, it would have to get down to, you know, pretty much under $5 or something. You're ridiculous. selling, you're like, selling uh, everything with your method, basically. You're not, you're not yeah. finding it where it's like, okay, well, yeah. this didn't sell for whatever reason. So we're just going to, yeah, yeah. Okay. we are, we are, un, we are operating under the, um, the strategy. We are in no hurry to really sell anything. Gotcha. Yeah. So we're building a store, we're building inventory and we're letting it sit out there. And then, like I said, lowering the prices as the markets, not as the markets move, but you know, 10% every four months and eventually it'll sell. And if it does, it gets down to a dollar and doesn't sell, then it gets taken off. And yeah, you're doing like a reverse auction. You're like, you're, you're <laughs> looking. Much. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. That's cool. I haven't heard that yet until now. So I'm glad I asked you the question. That's really cool. I think that's actually very valuable to the audience. Cause, cause I get asked a lot of questions from our audience members about everything from like going through their old collection and which cards to grade to obviously which, which players and athletes to target to like how to sell, how to, you know, how to maximize profits and things like that. So I actually think, you know, I'm glad I asked the question cause you do have a very legit eBay store, the card treasury, you do you do a lot in the hobby at the Discord channel, uh, Bob'sCardMarket.com, and uh, so I'm glad I asked you that question because I, yes. I do the auction model a lot because I get frustrated with, like I'll I'll put a card out for a buy it now or best offer, and I'm a little bit impatient. Kendall knows this. I'm a little bit impatient with like selling cards, so I've had success with auctions, but it ha mm -hmm. but with auctions it has to be more of the of um listing the right card at the right time whereas in your method it's kind of you're not worried about it you're just you're you, you mm -hmm. like the card you think it's going to sell you list it at double and then you lower it accordingly until it sells and you still make profit so i like that yeah yeah if you want i mean the auction method is definitely good if you need if you need cash flow yeah. Um, you need things to move at certain times, but like you said, it has to be timed perfectly. It has to end at the right time of day. It has to end on the right day. Like there's better days to, to post things and list things, but, um, yeah. And it's good. Yeah. To, it's good to have a store with inventory up. And so I think I'm actually going to take your advice. I've been waiting to list a bunch of my cards in an auction at a specific time, mm -hmm. but why not just do buy it now, now, and price it accordingly and then lower it like you do so i might steal your your method there <laughs> with at least some of my cards maybe yeah. the oscar ones because i've got yeah. probably i don't know seven or eight psa graded oscar cards they're all nines and tens and well one's an eight actually unfortunately but anyway um another thing i wanted to ask you about rob is um uh 2020 tops dynasty um this is a release that I don't hear a lot about, but I talk about it quite a bit because I feel a certain way about it. I wrote, I wrote a, a article for sports card investor. I contribute uh, a lot of articles to sports card investor on a regular basis. And um, one of them I did was on 20 uh, the top 10 drivers and their cards from 2020 tops dynasty. It's, it's obviously a very, you know, Topps Dynasty is a unique release in that basically you're spending a couple thousand dollars on one card and you don't know what that card is <laughs> going to be. And the bottom of that 
you could get crushed because you could get uh, a principal, a team principal. Like you could get Claire Williams from 2020, <laughs> which would suck. Um, yeah. You know, or you could get George Russell or Max Verstappen or Lewis, you know, and so you, uh, you, you risk a lot in that you could get like a $40 card for, for, you know, 2,500 or 3,000, whatever that box sells for. I think it might be closer to 3,000, but there are a lot of um, interesting plays there because they're all out of 10 or less. Um, they're all on card autos with gear in them of some sort, whether it's like a glove or a zipper, mm. part of a, you know, part of a jacket, whatever. Um, and I think that there's, there's some cards in that set that could eventually be the first million dollar F1 card. Like if you get a one of one Lewis on card patch or Mac, you know, or if you get like a one of one max uh, with a sick patch in it, and then Max goes on to win the next 10 F1 titles and yep. the best of all time and actually become likable and in the media and all that. <laughs> uh, a lot. That's a lot there, right? That has to happen. Yeah. But, but, but like, I think if any F1 card gets there, it could be the dynasty. And I, what do you think? I mean, am I way off with this or, uh, uh, I don't know. Have you dabbled in the tops dynasty at all? I have not. That's, but going back to the first thing you brought up about breaks, like that is, that's the perfect product to, to get into a break. Like I wouldn't, mm. if the, if, I'm sure it's done by by driver or by team, maybe I don't know, but um, I would never, and I wouldn't suggest anyone go just buy a box of Topps Dynasty. Um, I know the Max. I think Matt, you're right. Like Max Verstappen would probably be the only one where that could possibly be a million dollar card, um, and that would probably you said 20. Was, did they do that in 2020 or 2021? Mm -hmm. So it'd probably be one out of there. And I mean, he's already number seven all time in points and he's still what? 20 something. He's young, tw early twenties. Yeah. I feel like he's, I want to say 25. Granted there's more yeah. races and whatever, but still he's already, I mean, he's going to blow past Lewis Hamilton for the all time. Yeah. Points. Um, so yeah, I agree. Like if there's any card that could be a million dollar card, it would be that, but, um, yeah. And I could I be, I mean, there could be a tops Chrome, one of one something that's out there that that I'm missing, but I just feel like what those dynasty cards are are basically like the national treasures, um, mm -hmm. true RPAs that people talk about that end up going for, you know, millions of dollars for Luca or um, Mahomes or whatever, right? And so if if Mac like, and we all talk about Leclerc maybe being this, Russell maybe being that. Well, Max already is that. Like Max is already that, and he's there. He's their age basically. So um, right. that's why I think it's it's interesting to me to, to look at that. And uh, good to get your take on it. Well, um, the an out of ten, twenty twenty Max sold for thirty seven thousand. Mm -hmm. So, yep, and. I'd have to go reference my article, which I don't necessarily want to spend time doing right now. I don't have it pulled up, but I do. If you guys check out sportscardinvestor.com and just click on, if you want the shortcut is just click on my name and then go find the 2020 tops dynasty. It's got like the top sales from that product. And I, and it's, it's not 
that far. I mean, it's definitely nowhere close to a million dollars in any of those sales, but I don't think it's as far off as you might think to where if you were to go back and look at some of the million dollar sales from other sports, what that card was bought for maybe two or three transactions mm -hmm. prior to when it hit a million. So like, yeah, you're you, talking like 10 years from now, it could be, yeah, it's not, yeah, not five years soon. from now, yeah, 10 years yeah. from now, not tomorrow mm -hmm. for sure. Right. Not later this F1 season. <laughs> which is basically what I'm no I'm glad you I'm glad you clarified that though because basically all of my content is like six to 12 months whereas mm -hmm. this that prediction is actually more like five to ten years for sure yeah um cool man well let's see so one other thing I wanted to try to do here today when I have uh guests on the show guest hosts is um re-rank my rankings right so I rank a certain way at nooffseason.com so we've talked about Bob's card market so far. Go to bobscardmarket.com. We've talked about market movers so far. Go to marketmoversapp.com. Use the promo code NOOFFSEASON to get your first month for only $1. And we've talked about uh, nooffseason.com. So uh, if you want a free premium membership for a year to nooffseason.com, email me at paul at nooffseason.com and I'll hook you up. And so we're about to re-rank my F1 card rankings with Rob Masora from Bob's Card Market. So there's wow. only uh, 11. 11 drivers in here. I don't have Fittipaldi on here yet. So what um, are you, what's your criteria? criteria. Like what are you, what are we ranking these on? Yeah. So the criteria basically is at the top level, if you were to look at over the next 12 months, who is going to be the most solid place to put your money over the next 12 months? Not who to buy now, right? So if this were who to buy now, it would be, it might be Enzo Fittipaldi at the top, or it might be, uh, you know, we might find some data on Lando that's like, oh, you got to buy this one Lando card right now for because of like, the market, right? Well, it's too much to keep up with from an overall uh, ranking standpoint. The rankings would be moving all the time if we did it that way. So instead, what we do is we say over the next 12 months, who's actually going to have, who's going to provide people that look at this list with the most opportunities to sell them for profit, just based on who they are, based on their, their situation. And so then when you click down into the into the player profiles for each of these, the driver profiles, mm -hmm. for example, um, we can click into George Russell just to show what that looks like. But then you get then you see what the actual recommendation is at that point in time for that player. So it might be um, George Russell for for specific reasons. We think he's a buy and hold right now. Right. And, and then we say, here's the card data. And then down at the bottom, we say, here's the play for George Russell. So I say, um, here's the cards we think you should buy. Here's when we think you should buy them. Here's when you should be prepared to sell them and why. Right. Um, whereas when we just look at the rankings, it's like, who, uh, who's going to be the most solid over the next 12 months that's going to give people the most opportunities to essentially flip them for cash? Does so, that make sense? yeah, a little bit, a little bit. So you got, <laughs> well, you got the, you got the part of consistency and uh, security. So like, 
which drivers could you invest your money in and really not worry about losing um, and maybe potentially have an opportunity to grow a little bit? I would say, I would say yes, but it's the other way around. It's actually like, we're going to rank somebody higher that we think you're going to be able to buy and then flip for a profit more than somebody who's secure. So like, for example, okay. and that's actually the difference between like Max and Lewis, right? So like, I would say that if we ranked based on who's the most secure driver, Lewis would probably be number one because we, then we would be saying, because mm -hmm. if you were to ask me like who, what driver should you put your money into for the next like X amount of years and like not worry that you're going to lose money, I'd for sure say Lewis Hamilton, but I don't really care about not losing money over the next several years. That's kind of pointless to me. What's actually fun is I want to buy somebody now. I want to have the opportunity to buy somebody over the next however many weeks or months and then know that there's an opportunity to flip them for more money. And so we try to rank on who's going to have the opportunity at certain points to buy with other points to sell within a 12 month window. Yeah. So if you're, if I'm thinking about this from a 12 month standpoint, like a year from now, who are over the course of the year, like you were saying, how many times are you going to have opportunities to sell at a higher value? I, I mean, I almost put Max and Lewis towards the bottom of the list. I don't see okay. their values spiking that much. They're good. Like, that's it. Like there's nothing there's, we know they're good. They win a lot of races. Although Lewis didn't win any last year, but their value is where it's at. Now, if you're asking me five, 10 years from now, I think you should buy max now and hold for five to 10 years when he's number one on every single record um, sheet and passing Lewis. But over the course of this year, I don't, I don't see, I mean, everyone knows he's good and I don't see his value increasing that much. You have a lot of risk in the young guys like Logan Sargent and and um, uh, well, yeah, we don't have Fittipaldi on here, but I think some good opportunities to maybe get some um, some pulses if that you're talking about. And two guys I wanted to talk about were Carlos Sainz and Sergio Perez. They're number two. Kind of, I get well, Sergio definitely number two, but Carlos and, and Charles kind of go back and forth. But as I say, Carlos is the number two on their teams, so they're kind of forgotten about a little bit, but they're on good teams, so they're always going to be in the mix. And I mean, what if Carlos or Sergio, the first two or three races, like Max gets in an accident, or Leclerc gets in an accident, or Maybe Carlos, you know, they're driving new cars. So maybe Carlos and Sergio are, you know, more in tune with the car this year than they were last year. And maybe they're better than the, I mean, I don't think they're going to be better than Sergio is going to be better than Max, but they have an opportunity to actually win races and they're always in the hunt. So like, just imagine a scenario where Carlos Sainz goes out and is in the top three of, you know, three of the first four races, that's a huge spike. And looking at his values, him and Sergio are one of the lowest um, prices. When you look at, when you try to compare prices versus like points and wins, like it's, it's night and day. Like they have very low values compared to how they perform. So I would put those two number, I would put 
Carlos number one because I think he has the most a better path. Most upside. To, yeah, more upside than Sergio. I do love the battles between Sergio and, and Max, though. Those are fun to watch. Um, George Russell has, I think he's slowly gaining the number one seat from Lewis, which is crazy to, to think about. Um, I would, I would go Carlos signs one, then, then Russell two. I think Russell's got the, the taste of winning after winning that last race. And I could, he's got a good head on his shoulders. He's always very calm, um, while he's driving. And I think he would have a good opportunity to, um, to get some wins and get some podiums. Do you want me to go through? <laughs> I haven't no, I mean this that, on the fly, but that's great so far because um yeah, you're taking exactly what the concept is and applying it to your mm-hmm. own hypothesis, which with who you what you know about the market related to each of the drivers and then who has the most upside. So signs number one, Russell number two. It sounds like moving Perez I put, up. I put a Checo bit, two or Checo giving, three. Checo three. Okay. Sergio Perez is Checo for all of you that don't watch the races. Those of you don't know. So Sergio Um, Checo Perez number three. And then where would you, I mean, would you move around this next row of, and you already said Max and Lewis down at the bottom, which, which makes sense. I mean, I get that. Um, So then would you go, how would you kind of reorganize this row of Leclerc, Piastri and Lando? Um, I, Part of me wants to put Lando at four um, just because there's a lot yet to be proven, but I'm nervous because you've hyped him so much over the past <laughs> six months to a year. I don't have that big of an impact on His the prices might market. be too high <laughs> now. <laughs> I put Lando four. Um, this is good. This is good. What do you think of Logan Sargent? Like you mentioned earlier that I was reading some things and it doesn't sound like he's that good. Yeah. Like I think it was like Williams kind of brought him on board to, you know, his first American in a while. They announced it in Austin. Um, He didn't even have the points to qualify for F1 when they announced it. Um, He eventually got it, but um, I I think it's more of a PR thing. So I'm kind of nervous about that. And plus, I think, I think his prices are going to be pretty high. A little inflated because of that. Yeah. Um, Gasly and look. Ocon, I guess maybe the last two we haven't comment on commented on yet in the show. What do you think of those? Yeah, guys? they're both in the same team. I would, I would, Ocon might be a good one. Um, wow. I didn't Pierre Gasly's 40 years old. I didn't realize that. No way. Is that right? This website can't be right. What website? I hope you're not on my website. And I hope you are on my website, but I hope you're not getting that information. He's 26. Okay. Well, this is wrong. Now I'm questioning the rest of this. I'm looking at their contracts. Okay. Um, But Gasly's contracts up after this year. So, um, I've always found him intriguing. Like his pricing seems low, but it seems he's, like he's respected as a driver by the fans. Like he's, he's accomplished. So. He's a con- I mean, I don't know, but I mean, he's, a, I think he's, he's very unlikable, but okay. Well, he's won races though. Yeah. So, or, or a race, which is saying something for, I mean, you know, he's, I don't know. I could be wrong. I'm not like, I'm not 
tuned in to Gasly, but just his, I'm intrigued by his upside with his prices. And but I mean, if people don't like him, that's a whole other story. I know people love Lando, so I'm definitely not saying uh, spend your money on Gasly in lieu of you know some of the other guys that I really like. But I'm just wondering what what do you in general, the audience think of Pierre Gasly, the F1 card audience. I'd love to hear back from you on that. Rob's not um, sure. I'm not sure. <laughs> One guy that might be worth um, putting on your list is Fernando Alonso. Like he's he's a veteran in F1. He's up there towards the career points standings. He's not. He's number one for Aston Martin, getting paid thirty million dollars a year. So he's not going anywhere. He is older, but Aston Martin was one of those teams that towards the end of the year started performing better and better and better. And they were, you know, in fighting, it seems crazy to say, but they get really excited when they're fighting for sixth place, <laughs> but they, but they were. And so like they were in the mix and Lance Stroll's contracts up after this year. So he's going to be the main, the main guy. Um, but yeah, I mean that's a good he's, point. Like, you know, I, I tend to overlook. Yeah, I tend I tend to overlook uh, the uh, the oldies but goodies. You know, I, yeah. I tend to I, I definitely I will admit like for those of you who don't follow my content all the time, I tend to get really excited by the the next potential prospect, and I tend to not get as excited personally. Like, I wouldn't go out and buy a Fernando Alonso card, but that's absolutely why I need Rob on the show because like people like Rob on the show to say, Hey, like this actually could be a play that you might want to consider. So I think I'm going to, I'm definitely going to take your analysis here, Rob, and tweak my F1 rankings because it's just low. It's low risk. And there's there's upside. Yeah. Yeah. Just like I would have at the beginning of last year, maybe Sebastian Vettel would have been another guy. Mm -hmm. That yeah, he's just high but... floor, lower ceiling. That's all. Right, but, right. But but I mean, there needs to be like there there are those people out there, you know. Like a lot. I mean, that's not a bad way to go in, so one, uh, in sports card investing. Another guy to think about in, um, is Nick Nick Devries. Devries. I don't know okay. how to say it. Um. So he's new. He filled in for. Um, I think he filled in for. Alex Alman won race yeah. last year and he, he got ninth place. He did awesome. Like he did great in like qualifying if I remember correctly, but um, like pretty almost immediately after that race, they're like, all right, we're going to, um, who ended up snatching him up? Um, Alpha Tori. Alpha Tori. Yeah. Yeah. So he's, so He's going to take over. He's going to be the number one on that team. Yuki Sonoda is always crashing. So um, he's going to be the number one on that team. And he's good friends with Max Verstappen. Um, but he doesn't have any carts. Yeah. He's got a 2020 Tops. Tops Now, probably. Tops Now. Yeah. So, which a PSA 10, I think, was like 40, 50 bucks. And the, the pop was fairly low. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not an, it's a it's a picture of a car it's not yeah, like his port not exciting but not exciting but maybe there's is. a play yeah i mean that's a great call though i mean i like i like that analysis because 
Those like Sargent didn't have any cards until this last release. Neither did Fittipaldi. And we're talking about them. And so Nick DeVries on the horizon. Got to be somebody to, to look out for. Adam Adamson says Alonzo's first year card was in 2021. That really surprises me. I'm not doubting that, but that's just surprising. Um, thanks for the nugget there, Adam. And uh, all right, well, uh, Rob, this has been an amazing uh, show. Like went by fast. Um, anything else you want to add before we uh, we head to the outro here? Love, would love to have you back on another F1 card strategy show sometime soon, man. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, I one thing I wanted to, I was thinking about this, and I need to practice what I preach. Is I part of me thinks that because there was such a huge um, like craze and fad of 2020 Chrome when that came out, and just the the demand for that, the prices skyrocketing, and then 2021 they obviously produced a ton more of it. And that was kind of a set that was probably forgotten about. But I think a good play would be to go to shows and start digging through dollar boxes, $5 boxes, $10 boxes. And you're probably going to find a lot of 2020 Chrome, which if you think five years from now, if F1 continues to grow, like that's, that's the set. Like that's the yeah. number one set. I um, love that call. I love and that. there's probably a lot of dealers out there that bought a ton of it when they're was the hype and are still sitting on it and want to get rid of it. And um, you might be able to find some good deals and snatch up a lot of 2020 Chrome. So I need to, yeah, I like that I need a lot. to practice that, but before anyone else gets there, but. well, I'll be going to Atlanta's culture collision show uh, next week, next weekend. And I'm excited to look through some $5 boxes, like you said. And um, <laughs> one other thing about the 2020 release, and I'm going to bring, I want to, you know, not only thank Rob Masora from bobscardmarket.com, but also Adam Adamson, bringing it strong in his first yeah. appearance in the comments. He says Alonzo uh, was out of the out of the driver's seat for a year, so that's why his first card was in 2021, which makes sense because it's always like the year, the full year prior when you're looking at the the new release. And so that's unique about F1. But the other unique thing about F1 that you made me think of Rob is like, if you look at the 2020 tops Chrome release, some guys have the RC logo on the card and other guys don't. Mm. And the two that do are Russell and Lando and the two that don't that maybe should are Max and uh, Charles Leclerc. And so when you look at those four guys and you're kind of comparing, like, why did they not put, I mean, I think I know why I don't really need to get into that, but like, just as a, as a hypothetical question, like why do they not put it on Max and, and Charles, but they, but they put it on Lando and George. And so um, what, what I mean by the, the point here is that when you five, six, seven years from now, when, when we're looking at, when we're looking back, and and maybe like we know Max is gonna be in a different stratosphere than those other three guys, but if the other three guys are then in a similar ilk to each other, but Lando and George have the RC logo, to me they clearly outsell Leclerc because they have that because for people coming into the hobby, that's what they're gonna look for over the next two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight years. Um, so there's a couple unique things about that release. And just about F1 cards in general that I think um, I think are interesting. So anyway, good stuff today. 
Uh, Rob, this was awesome. We're going to do it again. Everybody go check out bobscardmarket.com. Um, and thanks again for watching and listening to the F1 Card Strategy Show. I'm Paul Hickey with NoOffSeason.com. If Lefty were here, he would say cue the rock music. Everybody have a good time.